0: It's called Anchor Points today, and uh, so it's a four-week series, and so uh, it's really, um, the purpose of it is, uh, it, it's multifaceted, but I'll say it this way, is that I wanted to give you some clear distinction as to who we are as a church, and, uh, and, and so there's these things called Anchor Points, and if you've ever uh, done anything like with a boat, you're familiar with an anchor, hopefully, if not, you've probably had some accidents or if you've ever lost your anchor and all of a sudden you look up and, you know, you're like, how did I get over here? And so, um, but we're going to be sharing some things. So I'm going to uh, give you a rundown. And today specifically, I'm going to be talking about what the vision of the church is, uh, but more importantly, why it matters to you. And how many of you know that it doesn't really matter what the vision is if it doesn't matter to you? And uh, but it really does matter for you as an individual. And so I'm going to be sharing today about that. And uh, so we're going to jump right in this morning. And uh, so I'm going to start off just by defining for you. uh, With it being hunting season, uh, I figured there was a good definition that would go with anchor points. How many bow hunters do I have? How many people know how to shoot a bow? How many people have ever seen a bow and arrow? How many of you just don't care? You know, which one is it? Some of you, you know, just don't care. And uh, so, no, but but so one of the definitions of an anchor point is this, because one of the most important things about a bow and arrow is that it's Stable. Right? Like, I, I was with a group of men yesterday morning, and uh, we were shooting some guns and eating some barbecue. Hallelujah. And uh, we did it to the glory of God. And uh, so it was a lot of fun. But you know, one of the things you don't do is close your eyes and just start doing this around a bunch of people with a weapon. Why? Because it's dangerous. So you need to be able to sp- provide a s- stable platform on which to shoot a weapon of any kind. Well, in archery, you have a bow and arrow. Well, you don't just pull it like this. And let it fly because you have no idea which way it's going. And it would be very dangerous to do that. And so what you actually do is you take your bow and arrow, you pick it up and you pull it back and you actually anchor it on your chin. So you're actually looking at where you're aiming and that your chin becomes the anchor point for that arrow. It provides stability, right? I mean, it lets you know, hey, this is where I'm shooting. This is where this is my intended target. Intended is the key word. Because uh, intended doesn't always mean that's what happens. But, uh, you know, and, and so by definition, it's actually the point on an archer's face on which he, which, against which the drawing hand is placed under to stabilize the archer's aim before the release of an arrow. And so there's lots of, of illustrations that I could give you about this, about what an anchor point is. But ultimately, anchors matter because they hold you steady. You know, like I I like, I mean, I I like to fish and I like boats and I like all these kinds of things. And, you know, and it's important that when you come in at the end of the day, like me and Daryl used to live on a lake and my dad had a pontoon boat and I would tie it up for the weekend. I'm thankful that the anchor points held the boat when I left it out overnight. So that when I came out the next day, the boat was still there. Because if the anchor point wasn't good or more importantly, if I wasn't tied to the anchor point, the boat would come undone and it would happily float across the lake somewhere else, probably being damaged in the process. And and so over these next four weeks, my my desire, my goal, my hope is to communicate to you four principles, four main things that can be like an anchor in your life to hold you steady. Because we live in turbulent times. We live in very interesting times. But we, the Bible actually says that we're not to be dismayed. We're not to be disheartened. Why? Because we already know how the story unfolds. And that even in the midst of chaos, God is still working. And that's important for us to remember. But if we lose our steady point, if we lose our anchor point, which ultimately Hebrews tells us is Jesus. We'll look at a scripture here in just a minute. It, it, that it's important that we remember that. But just like one time I can remember Specifically, that we had some really uh, rough waters happening on the lake where I happened to have our um, boat was tied up to, and I would tie it up in two in the back and in the front to make sure it was secure and all these things. And I came outside, and one of the front points had actually begun to tear away from the dock. I mean, it was all it was. I mean, I was watching. I was like, oh my goodness! I ran down there. And I had to get a drill and go resecure the anchor to the dock because it was starting to tear away. You know, and if we're not careful, life and just by us not really uh, maybe paying attention as much as we should can actually begin to do that. And the thing is, is that Jesus, the Bible says, is a firm, secure anchor to our soul. But what happens if we start untying? He doesn't change. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, forever. But what about us? And, And so it's important that we know who we are. And so there are some specific things and I'll tell you them here in a few minutes that we're going to be communicating over these next four weeks about who we specifically are as a church. And also what I believe is important in your life. It's not just about the church. It's really more about us as individuals experiencing what God has for us. And so another word for an anchor point is a mooring, M-O-O-R-I-N-G, a mooring. And that would be like a, a cleat. On a dock that would that actual cleat, the actual technical name is a moor, and that's what that's called. And so by definition, that means that it's an established practice or a stabilizing influence such as a chain or a line by which an object is secured in place. And so we have these things in the natural realm. You know, if you've ever been around a a lot of hot air balloons, they have these things called tether lines that are anchored to the ground in case that balloon lifts off the ground and they're not ready. It doesn't just go bye-bye. You know, and and so they have these lines to hold it, but when it's time to take off, they'll take those lines off. Now, in Hebrews chapter 6, it tells us this. In verse 19, I'm going to read this out of the Passion Translation. It says that we have this certain hope like a strong and unbreakable anchor being Jesus, holding our souls to God himself. We have a firm foundation. We have an anchor that's immovable. And that regardless of what may be going on in our life, we don't have to fall apart because we're experiencing some turbulence. Because we're in a moment of time and it's important that we know who we are. And it goes on, I'm not going to read in verse 19 and 20, but it actually says that Jesus has actually gone before us into the very presence of God. And we have confidence that we can now go into the presence of God. Not because of who we are, not because of what we've done, but because Jesus has provided the way. And this is important. And so over the next four weeks, I'm going to share some some core doctrine, if you will, of our church, who we are. And so maybe you've wondered, like, what makes you different as a church? Over the next four weeks, I'm going to tell you. Doesn't make us better than anybody else. That's not the point. But it's just this is part of our identity. This is part of who we are as a church body. And so, uh, you know, it's not our top four necessarily. But these are four pillars that are very important to us as a church. And so today, as I said, I'm going to be sharing with you what our vision is. Why are we here? Why do we exist? Why do we open the doors? Why did we turn on the lights today? Why do we gather together? I'm going to explain that today. And so next week, I'm going to be talking to you and sharing with you about the supremacy of Scripture. You're like, man, that sounds fancy. You're welcome. That's as fancy as it's going to get. It's going to go downhill from here. And, um, but no, what does that mean? It means the authority or the place of scripture. In other words, it is supreme above all others. Is that the word of God matters. The word of God can change every situation. So we're going to talk about that next week. In the third week, we're going to be looking about living on mission, living on purpose. You're here for a reason. God has a reason for you to exist. That's why you are breathing today. God has a purpose in mind for you. In week four, we're going to be talking and sharing with you about a spirit-empowered life. And what does that mean? And how can I tap into that? And and what does that look like? And so that's what the next couple weeks are going to look like. You say, well, why does this matter? Let me tell you why. Because when you know who you are, you know what to do. When you know who you are,
1: like really know who you are, you know what to
0: do. We get in trouble when we forget who we are because all of a sudden we start searching in all these other places and start looking other. Why? Because we've lost our identity. And so when we know who we are, we know what to do. It's very simple. It's not that complicated, but yet it can be if we lose our bearings, if we lose our anchor point, we can actually begin to drift and and go to places that we never intended to go. And trust me, the devil will make sure that we will have a place to drift to. And that's why it's important that we have these foundations of which to grab hold of and to keep us steady because they keep us in a safe place. And this is what God's desire is. And so uh, this morning, I'm going to share with you about our vision and say, well, why does it matter? Why does the vision matter? Why, why is it important? Proverbs 29:18 says this. It's now the message translation. It says, if people can't see what God is doing, they will stumble all over themselves. It says, but when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. Another translation says it this way. Without vision, people perish. Another one says it this way. Without a clear understanding of what God is doing, people will cast off restraint. You're going to go crazy if you don't see what God is doing. All of a sudden, things are okay that would have never been okay except that you've lost sight Of the Lord, you've really lost sight of God's vision. And and here it says that, uh, and it's important, says that when they can't see what God is doing, when we don't understand what God is working in our life, it's funny how it works. But when my relationship with God is close, there are things that just are not appealing to me. But the moment that I begin to drift away, all of a sudden things that were not attractive, all of a sudden become attractive. Why is that? If you can't see what God is doing, you will stumble. If you don't have a clear picture of what God is wanting to do in you and through you, you will stumble. But it says, but when they attend, when they pay attention to what he reveals... When we open up our eyes to see God's purpose and plan, they are most blessed. And so this morning we're going to share about our vision. And I've been telling you over the last few months, I would quote this several times. And and I've told you, Hey, at some point in the future, I'm going to really dive into this more in detail. Today's that day. And, um, so, uh, for those of you that may not be aware, which we have it on the wall, out actually right outside of these doors, but just in case you're not familiar with it, this is what our vision is, is that we exist for four reasons. We exist to help people know God. We want them to find freedom. We want you to discover purpose and to make a difference. It's not complicated. It's pretty straightforward. But we really want you to know God, not here, but Here. Like on the inside, like way beyond head knowledge, like personal experience. Like my life has been changed. This isn't religion. This is relationship. But we want you to find freedom. I'm going to walk through all of these today, so I'm not going to get into all it. But say, you know, and and the truth is, and this is, if you hear nothing else that I hear you say, that that you hear me say today, please hear this. It's not important that it's the vision for our church. What's important is that it's God's vision for your life. Like there's over 20 times in scripture that I could take you to and show you these four elements. So it's not just something simple to communicate to you. This is the heart of God for you as an individual. And because it's important to God, it should be important to us as his church. That's why it's our vision, because it's not our vision. It's God's vision for you. We exist to actually help you and to serve other people. And so we can do that by operating through uh, God's plan, God's vision. And so this is God's vision for every single one of you. It's God's vision for me. And so, uh, as as I mentioned, there's over 20 places in Scripture where the words may be different, but the concept is the same. But you can literally see it. And I'm going to show you four of them this morning. I'm going to show you two in the Old Testament, two in the New Testament. And and so the first account that we see actually comes out of Exodus chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 6 and 7. There's going to be some words highlighted in these, and you'll see the four elements in each of them. That I'm about to read to you. But this account comes when the children of Israel were getting ready to be delivered. And really they had been delivered from the uh, really being slaves in the nation of Egypt at the time. And God makes some promises to them. Anytime that God says I will guess what he's going to do. He will why because he cannot lie. If he gives us a promise in the word of God, if he speaks uh, uh, something to us, he will do it. And so in verse six here, it says, therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out. That's actually no God, right? I'm going to that's salvation. We'll walk through these in just a moment, but I'm just going to read the scripture. So he says, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Just so you know, in scripture, the Egyptians Really, when it talks about the nation of Egypt, that's a type of the world system. It's not just about the physical nation of Egypt. It's actually talking about a system. Well, we live in a world system today. And God says, I will bring you out from that system, the way of doing life. I have a different, better plan for you. And so the Lord says to the Israelites, I will bring you out. He says, I will free you from being slaves to them. Now, that may sound like it's saying the same thing. Because if God brings you out from slavery, aren't you free? And the answer is actually no. Let me give you an example of this. You can take an elephant and you can tie a rope around his ankle with an anchor point. And if you give him just a little bit of time of walking around, you can actually remove that rope and he will never leave that circle. Why? Because he has been trained to stay in a circle. And we're not that different. And we may be saved, but yet we're still walking around in circles that God does not want us to. He wants to deliver us out of those patterns, but we are just walking the same old path. Let me keep going. So he says, I'll bring you out. I will free you. He says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. That literally means that God says, I will buy you back where you were bought with the blood of Jesus. He says, so so I'll do it with an outstretched arm with mighty acts of judgment. He says, and I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. He says, then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And so here God actually gives us four. I will statements. Four specific things that he says. And so, number one, he says, I will bring you out. For you and for me, that means salvation and sanctification. Like, what is sanctification? It's the process of God working in our life, removing old things, right? So that what the Bible calls it being born again, The word salvation means to be set apart, to be called out of and into. God didn't just call us out of darkness. He's called us into the kingdom of light. That's what scripture tells us. So this is important. He didn't just save me. He saved me for something. He didn't just save me to go to heaven. No, he's got something for us to do. So number one, he says, I will bring you out. Number two says, I will free you, free you from what? from being slaves. Another way to say this is like this, is that they got out of Egypt, but Egypt never got out of them. And you can actually see this when you go and read the accounts multiple times. They would come with to Moses and say, "Moses, why did you bring us out here in the desert to die? We had it better in Egypt." Go read about their time in Egypt.
1: I'll take the desert. But what happened?
0: It's a, it's, a, it's a wrong way of thinking. It's a thought process and a pattern and a mindset. And really what happens is, and, and this can be many things, but we all need freedom. And we're gonna, I'm going to break these down a little more, bit more here in a few minutes. But he says, uh, so he wants to free us from being slaves. Number three, he wants to redeem us. This is redemption. What that word actually means, yes, you've been bought with a price, but it actually says God wants to bring you back to your original intent. Adam and Eve were created for relationship, primary. God had a relationship with Adam before
1: he ever had a job. So God, when he says, redeem,
0: I want to bring you back to what I originally created you to be. The last number four is I want to take you as my people. Christians, as Christians, we ought to be the happiest, most joyous people on the planet. Why? Because our sins have been forgiven and we're not going to hell and we're going to heaven. And I'll tell you, heaven is not a quiet place. Heaven is rowdy, it's loud. You're like, I don't like loud. The music's too loud in here. I don't want to be loud in heaven. It won't bother you, I promise. See, it really is actually a condition of our soul and it's where we find meaning. Like when you're fulfilling your purpose, when you've actually figured out and now you're affecting others and there's a joy that comes from that, you can actually be full of, Field. Fulfillment really comes when we don't just live for ourselves, but we actually start considering and thinking and loving other people. And so the first scripture, or the second one, I'm sorry, first one was the next. The second one comes out of Isaiah 61. Now, this is a prophetic scripture, so it's talking about Jesus. This was written about 700 years before Jesus came to the earth. And so, but it it reads several things here. We were actually, I didn't even know this until we were singing a minute ago. The last song that we were singing actually has part of this verse right in the lyrics. You may be like, I didn't even know that was in the Bible. It is. So in verse one, it says, now again, this is prophesying. It's foretelling about Jesus, what he would do. In verse one, it says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me. Now, uh, an interesting thing about the word anointing, by the way, is that it, by definition, it means the one that breaks the yoke. Remember, find freedom. I'm going to bring you up from the yoke of the Egyptians. And yet here it says that he's been anointed to break the yoke. And it says to proclaim good news to the poor. What's good news to the poor? You don't have to be broke no more, right? That does better than just rhyming. There's truth there. But proclaim... We're going to let people know that, hey, you may be spiritually bankrupt, but Jesus has already paid your bill. You just have to accept it. So we're going to proclaim good news to the poor because they'll be spiritually poor. It's not talking about naturally necessarily here. But it goes on. It says, and he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim freedom for the captives and release um, from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to all who mourn. And provide for those who grieve in Zion. I've got good news for you today. If you're mourning today, Jesus has already provided the way for that to change. You don't have to be down. You don't have to be uh, really bound up by things. Jesus is a deliverer. It's part of who he is. And so it goes on here. He says, and I will bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. I love all these exchanges. I've highlighted these words instead. Because we come with one thing and we get something else. So we come, or that he would give us beauty for ashes. He will give us joy instead of mourning or sadness. He gives us a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. That literally means a spirit of heaviness. He says, I'm going to give you a song in your mouth and say, why do people get excited in church? Because I know what it's like to be in despair. And I know what it's like when Jesus delivered me from it. And so he put a song and a praise in my heart, not just in my mouth, but it's in my heart and it comes out of my mouth. Why? Because I'm not who I used to be. I know the mess that I was in and I know where God found me and where I really, you could properly say where I found God. And I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm definitely not that guy anymore. And so, man, when I want to worship God and it does something on the inside of me, it goes on and it says, and they would be called oaks of righteousness. Now, that's an interesting term. You're like, well, why would we be called that? Because you're not calling yourself that other people would actually say there's something about you. What's different? They will be called oaks of righteousness. In other words, we've got a testimony that matters to others. We live a life of significance that people would look at and say, man, there's something about you. It goes on, it says, a planning of the Lord for the display of his splendor. God wants to manifest himself through you. He wants to show himself through you. And it says, it goes on, it says, and they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places that are long devastated. Like, what has God called me to do to fix some wrongs? to rebuild to make a difference right i mean this is who this is what we're called to in colossians chapter 1 verse 28 it says he is the one that we proclaim admonishing or, i'm sorry yeah admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that he may present everyone fully mature in christ that's all four elements there's proclaim admonish there's teaching helping you find out who you are so that what's the goal so that you can go make a difference you can be mature I mean, I have toddlers, and they're not very mature, and they just think about themselves. They're not aware of time. But I I, I pray that the day is coming where they will grow into some maturity, and they think about others more than they do themselves. As believers, as Christians, as followers of Christ, that's the life we're called to. Doesn't mean that we ignore ourselves, but what it means is, God, I trust you with all of what I have. And I'm going to be focused on what you're focused on. The last verses uh, that show this, it comes out of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. The last of the ones I'm showing you this morning. But this is part of a prayer that Paul is praying. But he says in verse 17, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Not about him Know him, like intimately, personally. It, it means like, I mean, the word here in the Greek, the original language actually meant how a husband knows his wife intimately. It was kind of taboo. And so when Paul wrote this, people probably were like, what did he just say? That's actually what this word here means. That we would know him being Christ better. He says, and I, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you may know the hope in which you are called to the glorious or the riches of his glorious inheritance to his holy people. There's all four elements here. Hey, we want you to know God. We want your, what, your heart to be enlightened to realize where the devil's robbing you. You're like, well, how will I know? Because the Holy Spirit will reveal it to you. you say, well, I've got everything together. Of course you do. We all do. We, that's why we need revelation. It literally, that word revelation means that when the word of God comes alive and we realize like all of a sudden that, oh, I got an issue. We'll get to that in a minute. No, so what? We want to know God. That's, and these are, these are in order of importance, by the way. If you don't know God, don't go to step two. Now, I may shock you by a statement that I'm about to make. But if you haven't found some freedom in your life, you're actually not ready to start serving. You're like, man, I thought the church needed everybody to serve. We do. But you're more important than your service. And I want God to work in your life. I mean, how many of you? Well, I'm about to get ahead of myself. Let me just. I got a lot of notes today, which is not good for me. And so I'm going to be very disciplined as much as I can to stick to it. We'll get there in a minute. No, but so. We want to know God. We want to find some freedom. We want our hearts, our eyes, our spiritual eyes to open up to see the areas where the devil's gotten the upper hand. And Jesus says, You don't have to put up with that. I paid the price for that. So that what? So that we would have hope. When you have hope, you have joy. When you have despair, you don't. And there is hope in your calling, the reason why you exist. Why? Because we have a glorious inheritance. The Bible, Psalm says it this way, is that God will give us the heathen, the lost, as our inheritance. That is our spiritual inheritance from the Lord. And so again, I'm about to walk through all four of these elements in a little bit more detail. But I want to remind you, this is not just our vision for the church. This is God's vision for you. And I'm going to throw this little thought in there. And this is what I would encourage you to consider as I'm walking through these four elements is where are you? Every one of us are on a spiritual journey. Every one of us. And sometimes we think that we're somewhere in the journey that we're in reality not. So I would just encourage you. Tell you what, I'm going to pray over you before I even move forward. I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit is going to open up our eyes and our hearts to see so that we can actually hear the word of God so that it makes a difference in our lives. So let's pray. Father God, I just thank you right now as we're discussing this, talking about this in these next few minutes, Father, we just open up our hearts to you. Father, I take authority over every lie of the enemy that he would try to keep us captive. Father, I thank you that you came, that we would be free that we would have joy, that we would have purpose, Father, that we would know you at a very deep level, very intimate level in our life. So, Father, we're not just here to be about religion, but, Father, we want to have a relationship with you. So, Father, I think if there's any hindrance in our mind, in our souls, in our hearts, if there's any hang-ups, if there's any stronghold or foothold that the devil's got, Father, we take authority over it right now. And Father, we just open ourselves up to you and we say, Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts and help us identify where we are today so that we can take steps forward into what God has for us. We thank you for it in Jesus name. Amen. So when we talk about knowing God, it's the first element. If you even look on the sign, it's actually that we have put out there. No, God is actually larger in text than the rest. They actually get smaller as they go down. That was intentional. It wasn't because we ran out of space. It's because it's of utmost important. We want people to know God, not relationship or not religion. It's a relationship. Coming to church does not make you a Christian. Having a relationship with God makes you a Christian. And so one of the most important things that we could ever do as a church, one of the most important things that we will ever do as an individual, number one, is know God for ourselves, And number two, help other people come to know God. It's very important. And so this has, so you could say it several ways, but we want to help people find Jesus. You can do that through multiple ways, but it's evangelism. It's sharing your faith. It's proclaiming the good news. If you notice, most most of those scriptures use that word proclaim. What does that mean? It just means make public. Let somebody else know what God is doing. And so this is of utmost importance. Why? Because it's God's priority. It is God's fire. You know, In we're about to look at a scripture in Luke, and it gives three stories about a lost coin, right? How many of you are familiar with these passages? There's a lost son, a lost coin, right? And he says, hey, I'm looking for some stuff. He's not looking for what he knows where it is. Jesus is actually, it's a parallel, and it's always they're looking for what's lost. And so, and then in the end, or in the middle of it actually, Jesus says that, hey, there's gonna be a big party when they find what they're looking for. You ever lost something and you couldn't find it in your house and you found it and all of a sudden you got real happy? And you wanna go run and tell somebody else, I found what I was looking for. They're like, what's the big deal? And you're like, I've been looking for this for days. I finally found it. Well, this is the heart of God when a lost person comes to salvation. You may wonder and say, why do we celebrate at the end of service after we pray the prayer of salvation? We're just joining with heaven. Because we want people to know, hey, you're not alone in this process. You just gave your heart to the Lord. And we want you to know, man, we're with you. We're we're right alongside of you. In Luke 15, verse 7, Jesus said this. He says, in the same way there is, everybody say that word, more. Let's say that again. Y'all did way better earlier. In the same way there is what? More "More joy. Heaven's going to be a little rowdy. There is more joy in heaven than if LSU would have beaten Alabama last night. There is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than the 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Now you can think, well, God doesn't care about me. No, God knows where you are. He loves you unconditionally. That never changed. But he's distracted by that which is lost. So that's why this has to be primary for us. And, And so this is important. And so even when we celebrate in service, we ought to celebrate. Why? Because somebody's eternity could have just changed. And if it was your eternity, you'd be excited. And we ought to celebrate that. The second step is where we talk about finding freedom, and I think this is maybe one of the ones that is least understood. I think the other ones are more self explanatory a little bit. But when we talk about finding freedom, let me just help you. You've got issues. I noticed I did not get one amen on that point.
1: <laughs> you have
0: issues. I have issues. God is not surprised by our failings.
1: He's not. He's not shocked by it. He's not repulsed by it.
0: See, we have issues. And if you don't think you have an issue, that's your issue. (laughs) Let me just help you out. That would be called pride, which was the original sin. It's actually one of the most deadly sins because it leads into all kinds of other things. So when I say that we have an issue, I'm not necessarily saying that you have some huge secret that you're hiding from everybody. That's not what I'm saying. You may have some things that you're hiding from everybody and they may be hindering you in your walk with God. But when I talk about finding freedom, I don't and I don't just mean about like, hey, before I was saved, I needed freedom as a Christian. I needed freedom like i had been serving the Lord for years. I was on staff at a church like, you know. I am one of those special people and I was jacked up and I needed real freedom in my life as a Christian, as a spirit filled believer, as somebody who had been professionally trained in the ways of God. I needed God to come alive in my life because I was hurting and the hurt came after the salvation because I'd already been healed of all the priest stuff. See, some of you have been in church for so long. And you you think, "Well, I got free back when I got saved, but what between what about between then and now has happened? maybe an area of an offense, it may be an area of bitterness, it may just be circumstances, and you need to be free and here's the good news: God wants you free, but sometimes we can think well but but that was before Jesus took care of all that he did take care of that. But he took care of all of my pain and all of my shame and all of my hurt, past, present, and future. So sometimes I need to come back to Jesus and say, I can almost pray the the, the prayer of salvation again. Now, you can't get saved more than once. I don't believe that. I'm not saying that you're once saved, always saved either. I go, what do you mean? Just because you pray a prayer doesn't mean that you're saved. The Bible says you have to believe in your heart. So here's my thing. You may tell me you're a, a Christian. You're like, yeah, but I know people who walked away. I would question how much they truly believed. Because if you'd experienced the life of God and the delivering power of God, and look, and I'm not, this is not a judgment thing. I know this is a broad stroke statement.
1: But if you experience the presence and power
0: of God, the Bible actually tells us it's extremely hard to walk away once you've been used as the word enlightened. It's not an easy thing. And so sometimes people have a religious approach to God and they think I'm saved. Well, Jesus said, he's going to look at you and say, I'm sorry, I don't know you. There wasn't that connection. You're like, are you trying to scare me to hell? No, I'm trying to scare the hell out of you. Yes, yes, I am. That's good. If that's the way you want to look at it, sure. I want to give you a reality check. And say that there may be some areas of your life where that, um, the devil has gotten a hold of. Let me say it another way. Is there any area of your life that you could be better? See, that just sounds so much better, doesn't it? It's like, oh yeah. oh, yeah, I could be better. You just don't like it when I call it an issue. Let me define an issue for you. How about that? An issue is anything that is limiting you from experiencing God's will in your life. Anything. That's what I mean by an issue. It's a hang up. It's an area that's keeping you stuck from moving into what God wants for you. Now it's important in James five sixteen, We know this and you can go read this verse. We're not going to read it for the sake of time. But we go to God for forgiveness. But we also will find healing. You can go read this. In James chapter 5, verse 16, we go to God for forgiveness, but we will actually find healing and wholeness in his people. In other words, you won't get fixed, just you and Jesus. You need people around you. You need people who love you. You need people praying for you. You need people speaking truth into you. Why? Because we all have blind spots. We all have areas of ourselves. You're about to go get in a car in a few minutes. Your car's got blind spots. Your car ain't the only thing with them. You got them too, and sometimes we need people who have a different perspective. I'll give you an example. When I was uh, my youth pastor, when I I got saved at seventeen and hadn't been serving the Lord very long, but I'll never forget one day he said, "Hey, can I talk to you?" And I said, "Sure." And he he gave me a uh, what I refer to as a character conversation, which meant he loved me enough to tell me the truth. And he said, "Hey, when you get under pressure, you start to crack." You start snapping at people and you just get kind of angry a little bit. You need to work on that. And that's all he told me. I'm like, what am I supposed to do with that? Maybe mad, but I knew he was right. So then I had to make a choice. Do I want to stay stuck in that place or do I want to grow? Do I want to develop? Do I want to gain some maturity in that area of my life? So I had a decision that I had to make. And so real life change happens within relationships. This is why belonging to a group actually matters. It's more than just showing up. I mean, we had fun yesterday shooting some guns, eating some barbecue. That's great. What was more important were relationships that were had. It's a connection. It's important to have a place that you're known. It's not so that people can know your business. It's so that you can experience the life that God has for you. See, many of you want to know, and and this really is, we're hardwired for this, is why am I here? Like, why am I on the planet? Why why am I here at this season and this time? And, And the truth is, is that you won't probably know that until you get some freedom. If you're struggling to figure out your purpose, it's because you, one, two, three. Because if you're still at step two, and you're not allowing the Lord to work in your heart, it's like having mud on your eyes. And you're like, which way am I supposed to go? You can't see through the mud. You got to remove the mud so that you can see. That's what finding freedom is really about. We have a group that's specifically designed for freedom. It's not the end all be-all, but it will help you. You may have a wrong view of God that you've because of the way you were raised, maybe by your parents, maybe the church you grew up, you may view God as like he's the like the wizard of Oz behind the curtain. Ugh, you know, Smoke and lights and all the scary stuff. and That's your view of God is he's the guy, the spooky guy behind the curtain. When in fact, he's one of the most loving, compassionate, caring relationships that you'll ever have. But you may have a view of God. Like I had a friend of mine, he used to say it this, like you even make jokes is that um, God's just gonna make me a greasy spot on the sidewalk. Boom, done. That's not the heart of God. It's not the nature of God. But yet we approach God that way. Many times because of the way. And so we need to unlearn some ways of thinking. We need to get some healing from our past. We need to get past some things. And so we need to get the mud removed so that we can recognize our purpose more easily. So we want to help you settle your hurts, your shame, your disappointments, all of those kinds of things. Like, well, how do you do that? It's in relationship. You got to have somebody you can ask questions to. Why do I feel this way? Why do I, why do I respond this way? Why, do, why when somebody says this, why do I do this? And there's all these things because the truth is, is we don't know us as well as we think we do. But God does. And he knows exactly how we're wired. So let me give you the, the big thought for this one. Is that Jesus paid too high a price for you to live on less than he paid for? I don't want to insult Jesus by the limited amount of salvation that I enjoy. I want to what? I want to experience all that he has for me. Hebrews chapter 5 verses 4, 15 and 16 say this. Says this high priest of ours is Jesus. He says it understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same testings that we do. Yet he did not sin. In other words, there's nothing that you face that Jesus can't understand or relate to. Another translation says that he's moved with the feelings of our infirmities, of our issues. He feels it. He knows what it's like. I love this. It says, so he understands what we're going through. He says, so let us come boldly, without hesitation, to the throne of our gracious God. It says, and there we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us when you need it the most. When do you need grace? The most, when you need it the most. And here it says, you can come boldly to get it. You don't have to shy away. You don't have to beg. You're not going through these religious rituals and all these things. No, you come right to the throne of God. Why? Because Jesus has already gone there. He's already made the way. And he says, you have open access to the heart of God. So you can do it. So number three, so we've been through no God, find freedom. Number three, discover a purpose. I've said it many times. You were born on purpose for a purpose. God didn't create you and then be like, hmm, hmm. Let me figure out what I'm going to do with this one. He had an idea in mind when he created you. Let me say it in another word. There was a problem that God called and created and um, molded you to solve. You're a problem solver for somebody, somewhere, for something. That's why God created you, is to fix stuff. You're like, well, I don't like that. I can't fix myself. I know. You let God fix you, and you go help fix some other people. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 6 say this. For just as each of us, has one body with many members. These members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. It says we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. In other words, what I do, you may not do. There's gifts, there's there's talents, there's things that are already on the inside of you. You may not even be aware of it. But you got to get rid of the past so that those gifts, because there are something that you're amazing at that other people say, how do you do that? And it's easy for you. And as a matter of fact, it like gives you life. Like I'm going to pick on Lindsay for a moment. Because is like, it's, it's all good. It's all good. If you don't know, Lindsay is Daniel's uh, wife. She's the best part of Daniel. They are student pastors and uh, she is the best part of Daniel. I make jokes that I hired him just because I liked her. And, uh, but no, I mean, so one of the things about Lindsay though, is she's an organizer. Like our meetings are better when Lindsay's there. Cause I get a text or an email, like within 30 minutes or so hour, here's everything we've talked about. And it's like, this is amazing. My brain goes there. My hand just doesn't go there. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm like, I know we talked about, but to put it organized, it's like, Hey, here's the action steps. Like, Holy cow. And she loves it. It's a gift. I don't possess that gift. But she does. So she makes me better. Which in turn makes our church better. Why? Because she's operating in her gift. We were just. Thankfully. Had people who have some ability musically. That were leading us. In praise and worship. Aren't you glad there are people that have musical ability? I mean we could just draw straws every week we come. And be like okay. Y'all are on the praise team this week. Go up there and sing. That might make for a fun church service, but uh, (laughs) nobody will come back. Like that was so terrible that it was awesome. You know, it's like a train wreck, but. No, and you are actually already hardwired for a God purpose. Like you don't have to go find it. It's already in you. And here's the kicker. When you step into that, it would actually bring joy into your life. Why? Because you were brought back to your original intent. God brought you back to what he designed you for. Mark Twain said it this way. He says the two most important days of your life is the day you're born and the day you find out why. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says this. It says that we have become his poetry, a recreated people. The Bible says that we must be born again. 2 Corinthians five seventeen says that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You've got to be saved. You've got to be reborn. When we talk about salvation, it really means to be reborn. Born again. Nicodemus, one of the religious um, scholars of the day, came to Jesus. hey, what must I do to, an, an, to receive eternal life? And Jesus says, oh, you have to be born again. He's like, so I have to... Go back into my mother and be born. He's like, he's like, hey, it's spiritually, not naturally. You've got to be reborn. So it says that we've been recreated, that we would fulfill the destiny that he has given to each of us. God has a plan for you. It says, for we are joined to Christ Jesus, the anointed one. It says, even before you were born, God planned in advance for you. That's why I tell you that God had a purpose when he created you. God planned in advance our destiny and the good works that we would fulfill it. See, when you're walking in your calling, you actually get joy and you get hope and you get purpose. And and if you're struggling with your purpose, you got to come back and say, God, why did you create me? And sometimes seasons change. Even in my calling, I haven't always been a preacher And there are seasons of my life that I've done different things that God led me into. And I look back and I can see where God used me and where I learned lessons. I'll give you an example. I worked for UPS and God absolutely used that season of my life because I had to deal with some interesting characters. But that season of my life actually shapes my theology to this day. And I can see why God sent me there to work at UPS at four o'clock in the morning because there ain't nothing good going on at four o'clock in the morning. Except for a paycheck and I was a broke college student. So, but God will use seasons and so seasons will shift sometimes. And so you have to ask the Lord, okay, what's my purpose in this season? See, we all need something that's more important than our problems. If all we do is sit around and look at our problems, guess what happens? We become depressed. When we lift our head up and we start looking to help other people, we kind of start to forget about some of our problems.
1: This is important.
0: See, the reality is, is that the church, which is you, are God's gift to the world. Why? Because the church is the only place. When I say the church, I don't mean this building. I mean us as believers is the only place that has real hope.
1: There's not much hope in the world right now. But yet there is hope in Christ. And it's going to come through the church. I'm running out of time. I'm already out of time.
0: Let me just talk a little faster. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12 says that these are the gifts that God gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers says their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work, for what purpose, to build up the church. Well, how do you build up the church? You build people. The church is people. It's not a building. It's people. So as we, what, help people come to know God, find purpose, discover, or find freedom, discover purpose, they begin to make a difference. We're building the church. As we help each other grow into these things, this is who we are. And so one of the thoughts that can happen is that if I were to ask you a question, like say, hey, pop quiz, how many of you are in the full-time ministry? You would probably point your finger at me and say, you are. But the truth is, is no,
1: we are. You're like, yeah, but you're the paid Christian.
0: I don't get paid to be a Christian. I get paid to pastor you. They are different. They're not one and the same thing. I have a relationship with God. And then I pastor the church. Not the same things. But I can't pastor the church very well if I don't have a relationship with God either. As a matter of fact, it will be a glorious catastrophe. So it's important. But we are called
1: to affect people.
0: So we aren't just here for ourselves. We're here to be about our father's agenda. Jesus said that he was 12 years old. Jesus disappears from his parents. I mean, you think you've made some mistakes with your kids? Mary and Joseph lost Jesus. <laughs> three days, by the way, not three hours, three days. We lost the son of God. Angels came. They said he's going to be the savior of the world. It's going to be amazing. I can just imagine the conversation. Joseph, where's Jesus? I don't know. I thought you knew. What do you mean you thought I knew? You knew it was your responsibility, and I'm sure there was an argument. The Bible doesn't tell us that, but I'm just filling in the gaps. And I'm sure as the days went by, the argument got a little more heated, and the accusations came up. They found Jesus in the temple after three days, and his response is, "Why were you worried? Now I think of Mary like I do my mom, and my mom would have responded, <laughs> I won't elaborate." On that point, but he made the statement says, didn't you know that I would be about my father's business? See, we don't exist for ourselves, we actually exist for the purposes of God. And that leads into step four, which is that we make a difference. John 15 verse eight says this: says, "When you produce much fruit, not a little, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples." How do you know if you're following Jesus, there's fruit? It's not complicated. It's really not. Is there fruit in your life? He says, you are my true disciples. And then it says, when we bear fruit, this brings great joy or great glory to my father. It blesses the heart of God when we make a difference for his kingdom. In verse 11, it says, well, that's great. So I'm just in, in debt to God and I just have to serve the church the rest of my life. Sort of, but it doesn't have to be a burden. And if, and if serving in the house of God is a burden, you're doing it wrong. It's actually a blessing. And it's amazing sometimes how just the, the change of a, of a heart attitude can change everything. It's not a have to, it's a I get to. We have signs on either side of the stage that anybody that walks up here that sees right there on the wall and says, it's a privilege to stand on this stage. God, thank you for choosing me. I don't have to do it. I get to do it. God never called you to put a burden on you. It's quite the opposite. He actually called you to bring joy into your life. You're like, well, that doesn't sound like what that scripture says. Keep reading. So that's verse 8. He says, when you produce fruit, it brings great glory to God. In verse 11, so three verses down, it says, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. When you live a life that's impacting other people, it does something to you. I mean, deep down in your soul. It's a life of significance. It's a life that matters. It's a life that's making a difference. But to make a difference, there's a, there's a path. There's, there's, there's this road that God wants you to walk. And, and many times we've been trying to just love people, but we're hurting. And that doesn't mean that we're led by our feelings. It doesn't mean it's just like, well, I'm not having a good day. I, I, I can't do what I said I would do. It's not that. But we live in a broken world and we are broken people. But the good news is, is that we do have a savior in heaven who says, hey, I'll make the wrong thing right. And I'm going to make the crooked thing straight. And I'm going to take the the things that are broken and I'm going to make them whole again. This is the heart of God. So as I'm wrapping up this morning, I'm going to give you the four elements again, but I'm going to put them in some some more verbiage to make it real clear for you. So we have no God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. So know God is what? Seeing lost people saved. How are lost people going to get saved? It's because you're going to share your testimony with them. You're going to share your story with them. You're going to bring them to church with you. And we're going to see God work in their life. When we pray, we're going to ask God to give us the lost. We're not content to just have us four and we're good. And this is the room and this is the church. No, we want the church to grow, but we want it to grow by life change. So we want lost people to get saved. When we talk about uh, people finding freedom, we want those saved people to get pastored. It doesn't necessarily just mean being pastored by me. It means being pastored by the body. It means being loved, developed, and growing through the body. Talk about discovering your purpose. That's pastored people being trained. It means, hey, you got a job. Let us help you figure it out. You got a responsibility, not just in the church, just in your life. You have gifts and things that God's put on the inside of you, but you need to be trained on how to turn what you love to do and turn it into ministry. I don't care if you like knitting quilts. You can turn that in a way to affect other people for the kingdom of God. We shot shotguns and pistols yesterday to the glory of God. (laughs) You don't have to stop what you're doing, stop what you like, just turn it into ministry. I'll give you an example. Some of you won't even know what I'm talking about. I used to play disc golf a lot. You're like, you're one of those hippies running around the park with frisbees. Yes, I was. And I used to play a lot when I lived in Kansas because we had some, I just, I had time and we had a lot of courses there. And one time, Darren went with me out there just on one of the rare occasions. I mean, I was playing like three or four or five days a week. I was playing all the time. I'd leave work and go play. And so I'd gotten this whole network of guys, like two of them knew anything about God. I mean, half of them are smoking pot and cussing like sailors and all kinds. And I loved it because I was in the church bubble. And all I knew was the church, and I was just with church people all the time. And I loved going out to the park, and I don't know, it was maybe a year or so, maybe two, I don't remember. Derek came with me, and I stepped out of my truck, and all these guys from different parts of the park started hollering at me. And they're like, hey, pastor! And she's like, and after, and then they just kept yelling at me. Like, and I'm like, hey, guys, what's up? You know, whatever. That's just the way we were. And after a few minutes, she was like, hey, do they know your name? I said, I don't know. And most of them didn't. Most of them didn't. Most of them probably didn't know what a, what a pastor was. Well, I was a youth pastor at a church. But it was amazing to me because we would do these things called league nights. On Thursdays, we'd get together. and, you know, You'd know, you have like hole in one pot. It's called an ace pot. and Everybody put a dollar in and somebody made an ace. They got all the money in the pot kind of thing and blah, blah, blah. But I'll never forget there were multiple times where we would get together and kind of, because you'd get a partner and you'd do this thing and we'd all kind of huddle up on Thursday nights. And it was amazing to me that given a little bit of time and that little huddle of creating teams became a prayer moment. Because one guy was getting ready to go to jail and he was worried about his kids. And another guy had a diagnosis of cancer in his family. And they just kind of looked at me one day. Actually, one of the guys actually went to our church. I guess he took the opportunity that I didn't. And just said, hey, pastor, can you pray? I'm like, oh, gosh, like this isn't my church mode. Like I'm not I'm not I'm here to throw some Frisbees. I'm not here to like be spiritual. And it kind of caught me off guard. But it was one guy that had a problem and it was funny. I was like, "Uh, sure. All these godless Guys who are drinking beer and smoking pot and cussing and doing all these things. All of a sudden, they got real religious all of a sudden. They're taking their hats off. They're coming around and like making a circle. And I'm like, what is going on? This is absolutely a true story. I'm not embellishing it at all. I wish I had a picture of it. It was the craziest thing. But what did God do? He took what I enjoyed... And he turned it into a moment to pray for somebody. And you're like, well, what happened? I don't know. I don't know what happened after the prayer. But this is what I do know. Is that those guys trusted me and respected me enough as a believer. Because I wasn't out there smoking, drinking, cussing. They could see something that was different in me. And God used that as a moment to impact some people. And there's nothing special about me. But God wants to use you in your world to impact people. Because there are people all over the place that are hurting, that don't have answers, that don't have hope. They can't see what God is doing. And God says, man, I want to use you right where you're at. You may wonder, man, why am I in this job? Because God put you there. Why do I live in the neighborhood that I do? Because God placed you there. Why do my kids have the friends that they do? Because God's got a divine assignment on your life to impact those kids. And yet we just look past it all the time. And many times what we see as problems, God says, hey, there's a purpose. Like, why does it irritate me? Because you're called to solve the problem but I don't want to solve the problem. There's joy. Like, I mean, real fulfillment, real joy, like in your soul, like deep within you, like purpose when you lean into those moments. Yeah, but I don't know, man, That, that freaks me out. It's called faith. Trusting the Lord. So I'll remind you of the question that I asked you before I really got into these elements. Where are you at? Where are you at in your spiritual journey? You may be here and you don't know the Lord. Today's as good a day as any. You may be here and you're like, man, I've got some issues. Jesus can help solve them. If you just walk with him. We're going to talk about in week four, we're going to talk about the spirit-empowered life, how the Holy Spirit can actually help you. You're not left on your own to figure this thing out. The Holy Spirit will help you. But where are you at? What's God stirring on the inside of you? Some of you are saved, man, and and God's done some amazing things in your heart. But you're like, man, I'm just kind of here. I'm just kind of going through the motions. That's because you're you're created to solve a problem. And until you solve a problem, you're not going to be fulfilled. But when you start solving a problem, you're going to start making a difference. This is the heart of God for you. And so this morning, I want to lead you.